Okay, you guys ready? We're going to tag team this together because uh, God wants to really pour out his spirit, I believe, today. I mentioned earlier, about a week and a half ago, I woke up two mornings in a row and I heard God say, revival fire now. Revival fire now. So if that is making you nervous already, I am glad. Uh, but it, by the sovereign hand of God, you are here today. So ha ha ha. God wanted you to be here. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't totally care what it looks like. I just know we need more of Jesus in our life, more of it, more passion for God in our life. Everybody. We all do. Amen. So today, Holly and I are going to share with you about four revivals that happened throughout church history. We have some PowerPoints there. This first one should be on there, the slide. These four revivals are about the Red River Meeting House Revival in 1799 in Kentucky. Cambridge Meeting House Revival, 1801, also Kentucky. The Walsh Revival, and also the Azusa Street Revival. We're going to share with these and then share some things that we've heard prophetically about what God's doing right now on the earth. Amen? Because guess what? He wants to use you. His goal is not to get you to church. His goal is for you to be the church. Amen? Carry the fire of God in with you wherever you go. So Holly's going to start with talking about the Red River Meeting House, and I'll come back when you are done with that one. Yeah, um, there's nothing like an encounter with Jesus to set you on fire for him. Amen. I firmly believe we all need an encounter with Jesus, but there's always more to encounter him in. Amen. Um, even our youth group back in the day, we had shirts with our Fusion Youth logo, and then on the back in big letters it said, Encounter Jesus, because that was our big mission to provide an environment for our teens to encounter the living God. Amen. There's so many people who just have heard of God or just do things out of religious duty, um, but they haven't had that encounter with the love of God. So, and it's fun. It's fun. Um, so I'm going to read, start us off with um, the Red River Meeting House. That's hard to say. Red River. Say that five times. Oh, wow. I never got to see what he put up there. Okay. So, I don't have this memorized, so I'm going to read in my teacher voice for you. So, in July 1799, that's not too, too long ago. Still a good time ago. But God really began to move in a special way in Kentucky, not that far from here, when a Presbyterian minister named John McGready responded to the burden on his heart to see revival sweep across the region and this nation. Amen. So God put the burden in his heart, and he was going after it. So after a short preaching stint in North Carolina... That's cool. There's a lot of cool North Carolina ties in here, which is very exciting, where there was heavy opposition to the point where someone burned down his pulpit. What? Do you know we actually even got hate mail when we first moved here because we might read other versions of the Bible. And they didn't even put a self, their return address, so it was a mystery mail. <laughs> but they didn't burn our pulpit. Um, anyways, and so another sent him a message, a threatening letter written in blood. Gross. Um, he just shook off the dust and he headed for Kentucky. Praise God for faithful people. He arrived in Logan County, Kentucky in around 1797 where he settled in the Red River community. And he was given three small churches to lead. So he was a circuit rider. 
Um, the region at that time was not the most prominent place to be. It was known as Rogue's Harbor and Satan's Stronghold. Oh, that's some fertile ground ready for God to do something big. Um, many felt it was unsafe to even walk the streets. Wow, and he was obedient. Um, in light of wanting to see people awakened to the love and fire of God, McGretty called all three of his congregations to corporate prayer and fasting. That's key. He promoted a concert of prayer, which I love that name, uh, the first Monday of each month, and they, he asked the people in his churches to pray for him at sunset on Saturday evening and sunrise on Sunday morning. And side note, that might be cool for us to do, covering our pastor and leadership, worship team, Sunday school teachers, amen, in prayer. So if you think of them, sunset on Saturday, sunrise on Sunday, pray for your pastor, pray for our leaders, pray for this region, for God to move, amen. And it doesn't have to only be those nights, but that's a good place to start. We get in the routine of life, and sometimes we don't think outside of our little world of what else there is we need to focus on. Amen. So then in July of 1799, revival began to break out at his church in Red River. Woo. Sinners began to be overcome with conviction and repent, and the Holy Spirit broke out and moved, slaying people under the power of God. That's their quote. <laughs> Um, in a letter written to a friend, James McGretty described the meeting as embers emerged that would later spark and ignite the second great awakening. So it started with an obedient heart. It moved into prayer and fasting, corporate prayer, and look what God started. It was a little ember. They didn't get discouraged and poof, it ignited. He said, our infant congregation remained in a state of deadness and darkness from the fall through the winter. But then in the month of July in 1799, the administration of the sacrament at Red River, this was a very solemn time. On Monday, the power of God seemed to fill the congregation. Hallelujah. The boldest and daring sinners in the country, um, they covered their faces and wept bitterly. That's God. Hardened hearts, weeping bitterly over God, bringing conviction to them. The mighty power of God came amongst us like a shower from the everlasting hills. God's people were quickened and comforted. Yea, some of them were filled with joy unspeakable. Ooh, are you reading everything I'm reading? <laughs> Sinners were powerfully alarmed and some precious souls were brought to feel the pardoning love of Jesus. And I love that phrase too, the pardoning love of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's powerful. At Gasper River, which was one of his three churches, the sacrament was administered in August 1799. Several persons under deep conviction broke forth in a loud outcry. Many fell to the ground, laying powerless, groaning, praying, and crying for mercy. You can't make that happen. You can't make people react that way. It is the power and the love and that drawing of God that brings those kind of actions and repentance. Amen. 
So look at this, the first camp meeting ever. I didn't know they had it documented. Who had the first? We have first this and first that, but this is the first camp meeting. It was held on June uh, 13 through 17 in the 1800s. People came from over 100 miles away for a four-day communion service, which, what do you do? the whole service, at a communion service. That's cool. Commune with Jesus, I guess. Um, But they were camping in their covered wagons. How fun and awesome is that in church history? That is pretty neat. I I always tell my kids in class, like, when you're reading, are you getting a picture in your mind? Because that's what you need to do. Are you getting a picture in your minds? Hungry people traveling in covered wagons. There's no AC, there's no heater in there, probably no shocks or very little. (laughs) Um, And camped out, ready to just receive what the Lord is doing. So in June 1800, the sacrament was administered at Red River. This was the greatest time we had ever seen. Um, As multitudes were struck down under conviction and conviction and cries of the distress filled the whole house, there you might see profane swearers. I love their labels of these Sabbath breakers. (laughs) Hooligans, you know. Um, But they were pricked to the heart, crying out. This was their quote. What shall we do to be saved? Amen. There were frolickers and dancers crying for mercy. There you might see children, 10, 11, 12 years old, praying and crying out for redemption. Again, You cannot make a child react in such a way. It is a move of God when you see them crying out to the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. Well, they're crying for redemption in the blood of Jesus in agonies of distress. During this sacrament, until the Tuesday following, 10 persons, we believe, were savingly brought home to Christ. Amen. The McGrady said, the year of 1800 exceeds all that my eyes ever beheld on earth. McGrady said, at a huge event, the evening meeting, excuse me, lit by flaming torches. So, again, so cool, like, no electricity, no modern convenience, but they were hungry, even at night, out with their torches. A Presbyterian pastor gave a strong message. The power of God seemed to shake the whole assembly. Toward the close of the sermon, the cries of the distress arose almost as loud as the speaker's voice after the congregation was dismissed and solemnness increased until the greater part of the multitude seemed engaged in the most solemn manner. No person seemed to wish to go home. How many of us have a timer set for when we should go home? (laughs) Hunger and sleep seem to affect no one. Eternal things were the vast concern. Now, of course, we get tired. We get hungry. They showed that in the Bible when they were following Jesus. The crowd still got tired. They still got hungry. But it was in their heart the number one thing was eternal things. Amen. Um, I'm just going to interject too. While I'm sharing, or Ryan, um, Ryan felt to do this this morning, but we've been in several Randy Clark meetings where God told him, if you feel the Holy Spirit moving on you while we're speaking, 
because um, we believe God is releasing something through these testimonies this morning. Amen. So we want to bless what God is doing. So if you start feeling a burning, um, tingling, your heart starts going faster than it should when you're just sitting at a resting state, um, just stand up because we are just going to bless what the Lord is doing and believe him to just continue to fall powerfully on you. Amen. So here, awakenings and conversions were found in every part of the multitude. Sober professors who had been communicators for many years, now lying prostrate on the ground, crying out in such language as this, oh, how I would have despised any person a few days ago who would have acted as I am doing now. But I cannot help it. Sometimes God says, get a little undignified. Are you willing to step into that for me to receive what I have for you? It's so easy to want to try to control our reaction to what the Holy Spirit is doing. But we will not receive the fullness if we do. Amen. Whew. Sometimes we got to lay our pride down. <laughs> Um, persons of every description, white and black, were found to be in every part of the multitude crying out for mercy in the most extreme distress. Now, I find it interesting when they keep quoting it and wording it as distress, but I think they are just so desperate. It sounded like when I read these accounts for the move of God and feeling his overwhelming power, that just distressing, I need you, whatever it looks like. I need you, whatever the cost. Amen? So when we revival began, it began without warning. At least we have a warning. God's been telling us. It's coming here. Woo. So, but we don't, we don't know the actual minute that God's just going to break through like what we have read about, because I have been envisioning it. Have you? I hope you have. Yes? I'm telling you, I love what we have, but I know there's more, because the streets aren't lined up with people coming here yet. And like Ryan said, time after time, people, people who don't even live in this region have come to visit and said, God gave me this dream. God gave me this vision. There's going to be a move of God here, and it's going to draw people from all over the world. So we need to hunger for that. Amen. Not because we want a stage and say, well, look at this. No, because people need to encounter God. Yes? The living God. They are dying, going to hell. They are sick. They are broken. They are depressed. And we have the answer. Jesus. Amen. So with the Red River, it said when revival began, it began without warning, a visiting minister from a nearby Sumner County, Tennessee, William McGee, looking sorrowfully around, suddenly felt impressed to shout to the people, Woo, an unction. Let the Lord God omnipotent reign in your hearts. Wow. Yes, that's what we need. At this, pandemonium broke forth among the congregation. Some of the lost began to scream. Others fell to the floor, sometimes writhing, sometimes perfectly still, having swooned or fainted, as we called it in the day, or, as we here say, fell out under the power of God. However you want to label it, you cannot stand anymore because the power of God hits you so hard, you just melt to the ground. Amen? Ooh. 
Several members went to McGee and urged him to try to stop what was happening, saying that Presbyterians could not allow such goings on. Have you heard that one before? <laughs> oh, no, no, not in our house. Whew, no. Um, but William McGee, instead, he went throughout the building shouting praises to God and encouraging the people to yield themselves wholly to God. Wow. So he had a choice. Cave to that peer pressure and be dignified. Or go after God with all his heart. And he chose the greater. Amen. So he went through yelling, shouting. Um, many were changed forever uh, that night. And in the words of John McCready, a mighty effusion of God's spirit, that's an outpouring, came upon the people. The floor was soon covered with the slain. Their screams for mercy pierced the heavens. They were having encounters with God. Heartened by the results of this meeting is another planned at McGrady's Gasper River Church. An enormous crowd, as many as several thousands, arrived at the appointed date. Thirteen wagon loads yeehaw, of people and provisions showed up. So they were prepared to camp out for a while. Um, whole families had come prepared to camp out for days. How fun and awesome. Can you imagine hearing those stories when they went back home? You should have seen all the wagons. You should have seen all the people in the move of God. Um, some of these people had traveled over 100 miles in a wagon or horseback or foot. Um, the estimates of the number of, the, of present ran as high as 8,000 men, women, and children. What? They had to camp out. Where would all those people stay? So hungry. Um, Dutch Sheets. He said, uh, the Red River Meeting House was the place of great revival in 1800. It led to the Great Cane Ridge Revival, which led to the Second Great Awakening, which literally saved America. Not just spiritually, but as a nation. Some historians believe that every significant revival in the world, are you hearing that? Um, since has had a connection back to this Red River Meeting House. That's pretty awesome. So, um, am I still reading this? I think it is. <laughs> um, but wow, so that is the sparks that started the Second Great Awakening. All have roots back to that Red River Revival. Amen. Thank you, Holly. All right, I hope you guys are getting stirred. If you, uh, if you didn't hear what she said or we weren't really listening, if you feel the Holy Spirit come upon you while I'm speaking, while Holly's speaking, we re literally want you to stand up during while we're talking until we notice you. I'll point at you or she'll point at you and say, I bless you in Jesus' name. Holly actually got physically healed by doing that same thing in Brazil one time of... Um, gluten sensitivities and uh, she was sitting beside me and Randy Clark was speaking she felt the power of God come on her he, she stood up while he was speaking he pointed her and said I bless you in Jesus name and when he said that man the power of God hit her she sat down I felt like just like all over me too because it just coming off her in waves and she got totally healed of it and then she's eaten whatever she wants ever since so um, yeah, you can take that testimony too alright the next one's Cane Ridge Kentucky Revival this is 215 miles away from the other Kentucky Revival we just mentioned August 8, 1801 
Barton Stone, who got saved under the McGrady's ministry in North Carolina, that's the one where they burnt the pulpit down, but he actually had some good fruit there. This guy, Barton, was saved there, would later uh, take what he experienced from McGrady's Red River Revival camp meeting and lead one of the largest camp meetings, August 6th to the 13th, 1801, in Cambridge. This historic camp meeting drew between 10,000 and 20,000 people, 140 wagons, and some traveling over 200 miles. Could you imagine? 140 wagons over 200 miles from these people. At that time, Lexington, the largest town in Kentucky, had less than 1,800 citizens. The attendance of these meetings was nearly 10% of the recorded population of the entire state of Kentucky in 1800. This is a major thing. Now, here's a major thing of, of revival, too, okay? Presbyterians, Methodists, and Baptists worked together. Oh, is it possible again? Is it possible again? Presbyterians, Methodists, and Baptists, and circuit rider preachers formed preaching teams, speaking simultaneously in different parts of the campgrounds, all aiming at conversions. James Finley, later uh, a Methodist circuit rider, described it this way. The noise, like the roaring of Niagara, the vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. I counted seven ministers all preaching at the same time, one on stumps, other in, others in wagons, and one standing on a tree which had fallen and in falling lodged against another. I stepped up on a log where I could have a better view of seeing the, serving, the view of the serving sea of humanity. The scene that was presented itself to my mind was in, incredible. At one time, I saw at least 500 people swept down in a moment as if a battery of a thousand guns had been opened up on them, and then immediately followed shrieks and shouts that rent the very heavens. When revival hits, it might not look all dignified and all classy, and you're not going to get your pants dirty, your jeans messed up, your tie. Like, there are 500 people falling to the ground at the same time by the power of God. And if it's in your heart that you don't want to see this, you're going to miss it. Because God's going to do it no matter what you think or say. Me too. I'm not trying to push anything on anybody. I'm just, this is church history. This goes back to the book of Acts. This goes all through the Bible. Daniel, many people had visions of God, visions with angels and things. They fell out under the power of God. These things happen, and it happens. It is a good thing. Amen. Anytime God touches a human being, it is a good thing. And sometimes the power of God touches you like an electric bolt of lightning, and you can't stand anymore. That's probably the best thing that ever happened in your life. Amen. A Presbyterian minister, the Reverend Moses Hogue, wrote, The careless fall down, cry out, tremble, and not infrequently are affected with convulsing twitching. Not, <laughs> honestly, sometimes I think God does this stuff to offend people. I really do. I think you could think of millions of different ways that that could happen that wouldn't be so offensive. Why is that person acting like that? Why are they twitching for? Why is Holly do that? things sometimes she does and why she do that I don't know why she does it but I know when she does it she's not faking it I know that it's the power of God it's the spirit of God oh man I feel like meddling <laughs> but I'm going to try to just stick to my notes uh, nothing that imagination can paint can make a stronger impression upon the mind than one of these scenes sinners dropping down on every hand shrieking groaning crying for mercy convulsed 
professors praying, agonizing, fainting, falling down in distress for sinners, or in a rapturous joy. As the work in general, there, there can be no question that this was God. We don't judge a tree by looking at the tree. We judge a tree by its fruit. You know, you can look at an apple tree. Uh, you judge by the, by the tree, by what the fruit is, right? Amen? So when we see things happening in days to come, guys are talking about the vilest sinners. Bless you in Jesus' name. Some of the worst people, they said, in the country. The worst people in the land. Those people were coming to church. Those people were falling on their faces, crying for mercy for God to save their soul. They're screaming. The people you won't believe, bless you in Jesus' name. People you don't hardly believe, well, even God could save them. That we need to get a whole new revelation of who Jesus is. Because he came and died for people like that. Amen? So I know some of these experiences um, may seem strange to you. The falling, twitching, stuff like that. It was strange to me too. I didn't grow up in a church that ever saw stuff like that happen. <laughs> Definitely not. I was more of the kind that get out at noon. You know, we're done at noon and we're eating. What are we doing there? I don't know. So, uh, so just because we haven't experienced something doesn't mean it's not God. Think of the stories in the Bible. There's many stories of Jesus did some weird things. He spit and put it in someone's eyes. He spit and put it in someone's ears. Guess what? That never happened to me before. It doesn't mean it's not Jesus. Right? Are you guys okay? So all throughout church history, if you read it, strange things happen. And almost always, people falling down under the power of God, shaking, twitching. Sometimes they're getting delivered from demons. Some, whatever's happening, the fruit is a transformed life. We say Paul was on a donkey. There's no mention of a donkey in there. Paul was hit by the power of God, and boom, down he went. And he's like, who are you, Jesus? He had all of a sudden, it's the quickest repentance story of someone getting saved right there. Uh, but anyway, uh, my senior year of Bible college, I saw a few people getting healed and delivered and touched and saw some strange manifestations I'd never seen before. Didn't see it on TV, didn't see it anywhere. But one thing I did know, I could discern if it was God and if it wasn't. And you can too. And if it's not, we'll take care of it. And it is, we'll let God take care of it. And either way, God's taking care of it. But we just need to have our hearts positioned in a place that when someone comes up here and they make a, a big, huge scene or whatever happens back in their seat, whatever, whatever God does, I want us to celebrate it. Yeah. Amen? Because God's changing a life. Change, think about when your life was changed. Think about where you would be today if you didn't have an encounter with God that changed your life. Think where Moses would be, everyone in the Bible, all the disciples would be if it wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't for an encounter with God. Okay, so when we went to Brazil 2008, to mention this briefly, I probably, we probably saw more in 2008 than all of our years combined of everything. More people falling out, more people being touched, more shaking, twitching, trembling, stuff like that. I had seen it once in a while, very seldomly. There it was like in your face, like everywhere. Like their first ever fire, fire tunnel was there. And it wasn't like the nice one we do here. And it's like the car wash version. It was like bodies flying everywhere on a hard marble floor. And no one was faking it. And I was standing there going, watching like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And the guy's like, you come here quick, help me pull these bodies out of the way before another body falls on top of it and squishes somebody. I'm like, okay, I didn't, is that, would God do that? They probably wouldn't have got squished, but yeah, God does stuff that we don't understand. If you understand God, you must be God. Mmm, that was good. 
it was not in my notes. That's a freebie. But anyway, so I, I was going through. I was skeptical. I'm looking at the crowd thinking, who's faking it? Who's, who's just trying to be a spectacle? Who's trying to just be seen by people? I'm trying to be, you know, the judge because that's what the religious, religious people do. They won't celebrate the party. They have to judge the ones going to the party, like the older brother. He couldn't enjoy what is going on with his younger brother. His life's transformed. He had to have a pity party and be religious and not go in and celebrate with his dad. We don't want that, amen? I don't want that in my heart. But that's where I was at the time. I'm looking at judging these who's fake and who's not. And I'm thinking, and then he asked me to help catch bodies or pull them out the way. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? What did I get myself into? What are these kids going to tell their parents? I mean, I didn't know. It was wild. So anyway, um, next thing you know, I see someone fall down. And they're shaking like crazy more than I've seen anyone ever do before. So much so, their cowboy boots flew off their feet. You guys ever wear cowboy boots? I mean, they don't come on and off too easily, even the expensive ones. Some of them, they come on. Anyway, his boots went flying, so I'm holding his feet so he doesn't kick somebody in the head because his feet are shaking like crazy. And there I looked, and it was Patrick Wise. And I was like, oh, man, God really does do this stuff. Because I know that boy would not fake it. He wouldn't fake it for anything. No matter what, he would never have done that. And I had to, I had to question what I believed was real, what God could do, what he wouldn't do in life. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pass it back to Holly now. You can share a story and also go into the, the Welsh Revival. Yeah, that trip transformed our lives in how we do ministry. And um, it just challenged us to the core. And it was so good. And the fruit was so rich and real. When we got back, we just we had four teenagers that went with us. It was new for all of us. But we, we know that we heard God say, go. And we went. And um, even the ones that went, they said, well, I know it's God because I don't like to leave Avery County very much. I'm happy here. This is nice. I don't need to leave Avery County, let alone go to another continent. Um, so, and they got radically touched when they came back. They were like, let's go to Walmart. Let's go find someone to pray for. Let's go downtown. Let's look for some people that we can pray for. And they were so on fire and hungry for God. It was a beautiful thing. Um, and Ryan said about the twitching, you know, I don't, I don't like to twitch. I don't like to do weird stuff. I don't like to boohoo in front of people, but... I don't like to say no to God either. Amen. So I try to position my heart to receive. What does he have? I don't want to shut down the flow of what he's doing. But it was in that trip when they had words of knowledge. Um, and I that was new for me too. I, I never experienced that. Never heard it taught. Anyways, but they used it a lot for ministry. And um, so this girl gave a word. And I felt my spirit like light up on fire. And I was like, oh, is that for me? And it was a, a different word. Like she saw these little um, 70s little containers that they used to put on the counter with flour and sugar and things, little orange mushroom top. And so I was like, well, just started praying. Like, God, is that me? And I was, God reminded me, my grandmother had a set of those at our cottage. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now what do I do? And I was so shy. I was like, I didn't go down because it's, you know, probably 500 people there and he had to go up to the front. And so I was like, oh, well, if I see her later, I'll ask her. <laughs> so um, they were done praying for people. Later, I asked the girl, like, I think that's me. I don't really know why. Because it wasn't like a word for healing or it was so vague. Like, I just saw these. I felt the Holy Spirit. So she's like, well, let's just pray about it. So she starts praying. And it's, you know, I'll connect it to my family and restoration and healing 
in the family. And so I was really blessed by what she prayed. But while she's praying, she's doing this thing like, whoa. (laughs) And I'm like, why are you doing that? (laughs) She's like, actually, I don't really know. I just received prayer since I've been here. And the person who prayed for me was doing that. And ever since now, when I feel the Holy Spirit, I'm doing that. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I let that go. And then later, guess what happens when I start feeling the Holy Spirit sometime and I'm praying for people? It doesn't, it just like kind of comes out of nowhere. I don't even expect it. And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, God, I'll just try to let you be you. But, but um, it has blessed my heart because I've had a few times when people who do see in the spirit realm, they're like, Actually, when you were doing that, I was seeing this angel like fanning you. So I'm like, oh, thank you, God. There's something good and spiritual happening when that's happening because that stuff, not going to lie, a little weird. But, and I'm not trying to make that happen. But if it does and God's moving, praise God. Let's just keep pressing in. Amen. So, not things to be scared about, like Ryan said. It might look a little weird. I don't know, but are you going to cut off the flow of what God's trying to do, or can you just receive and walk in it? And if you have questions later for God, ask him. He wants to have a conversation with you. Ask him, why am I doing that? What's going on? Uh, Can you enlighten me and give me some understanding? And he might then, he might choose to wait a little while, but don't be offended with God. Amen. All right, so here's the Welsh Revival. Most, and I'm sorry, this is a lot of reading too, but Ryan had actually not one dream, but two dreams saying, don't rush this. So put the details in. So here you go. (laughs) Um, But most people have heard of the Welsh Revival, which started in 1904 and led by Evan Roberts. Roberts was born on June 8th, 1878, died in 1951. Not that long ago. He began working in the coal mines when he was 12, um, but soon felt the call to study for ministry. Amen. He immersed himself in the study of the Bible. Um, Roberts was 26 years old when revival broke out. He had been praying for it every day for 13 years. Praise God for faithful hearts. One thing is clear, the revival was not the product of someone's personality or another person's preaching or of anyone's planning, but God's gracious response to the prayers of his people. Amen. It's not because someone's going to come here and be so talented at speaking. No, that is not it. It's God's gracious response to the hungry hearts who are going after it. I want our house to be a house that's going after it. Amen. So, uh, five things about this revival. One, revival broke out and spread without any advertisements or commercials or posters telling that the meetings were being held. The Spirit brought them in. You don't have to put revival on the sign when it's the real deal and God's like, kaboom. People are going to be talking. Guess whose leg grew out? Guess whose ear was healed? Guess who got saved? One of those profanity-mouthed people or frolickers that they were saying. Um, but you're going to know. That person might have been the talk of the town in the negative, and now God comes in and transforms his life. Amen? What a beautiful thing. 
Um, actually, we know a person came to church here years ago when we were first here, and um, he was the nicest guy you'd ever meet, and so tender-hearted. Like every Sunday, you'd look over, and he would just be weeping, and just have this love. And someone told us, "Do you know he used to be the meanest person I ever knew?" And we're like, no, we're talking about a different person. This cannot be this man. And they're like, no. He had a reputation in the plant he worked in. He was the worst, most grumpy, bad-mouthed, bad-personality person. Nobody wanted to be around them. And God did a work in his heart. I could not even believe it. Like, praise God, give him the glory because... He was so tender-hearted and precious. Like you would never imagine him in the way that he actually was originally before God got a hold of him. Such a transformation. So one re researcher said, "I have scanned the newspapers of Wales, which came out in 1904 and five, and found no paid advertisements there announcing the meetings. Praise God! Not one dollar was spent on promoting the revival. Amen." Approximately 70,000 came to faith in Christ in the two, over two months, and over 100,000 during the course of the revival. Hallelujah. That's incredible. Um, there are countless stories of salvation, and here is one. During one meeting, a well-known skeptic, mm -hmm, we might have those come in the door. Let me see what's going on, hmm. and be the judge, like Ryan said. Um, the most well-known skeptic in the town interrupted Evan Roberts as he preached. That's pretty bold. I want to ask a question, he shouted. Roberts ignored him. I want to ask a question, he yelled angrily again. If you do not answer me, I will come up to the pulpit to ask my question. Whoa. How bold. Everyone ignored him. So he began to make his way up to the pulpit to confront Roberts. An eyewitness to the event described what happened next. As in the case of Saul of Tarsus, on the Damascus Road, the Holy Spirit overpowered this man. He would have collapsed on the stairs had not people held him up, constraining him to cry out for mercy and pardon. What a scene followed. When the people realized the full importance of what had happened, um, the shout went up, he's been saved. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's been saved. Praise God. Woo. What a reputation to have now. I was this guy, but now I'm this one, all because of the graciousness of God and his love. Um. So here's another one to remember for this revival. There was an intense passion for Jesus on several occasions during a meeting. People would be heard crying out, <laughs> no more Lord Jesus or I die. It was so intense. Um, and actually that when Ryan shared about the Randy Clark meeting when I was contending for healing for being um, healed for gluten sensitivity. Um, I was waiting. I was the first one to stand up. Nobody had stood up yet. And that that was big. Woo, and I bless you in Jesus' name. Woo. Um, and so I was waiting for him to just take a breath, take a break, so I wouldn't interrupt. And I was waiting and waiting. And the Holy Spirit got so intense on me, it was actually painful. And I finally just said, I cannot sit here any longer. And I just stood up in the middle. He was did not have a breath in there. He just kept going. I just stood up. But like he said, when he was like, I bless you in Jesus' name, the power of God hit me so hard. 
um, later I was at the buffet line with a girl who had celiac disease. We both got healed the same way in that same service because we had both talked like, oh, there's not much for gluten-free here. Um, so we tried a little that night, tried a little more the next morning, tried a lot at lunch, and neither of us had any symptoms, praise God. Yeah. So sometimes the power of God gets intense. Woo. Um, to the point where you just have to respond because if you hold it in, <laughs> it can be painful. So just do it. So respond to the Lord. So the point is that you want revival when you pray um, for more of Christ. You are in revival when you've got so much of him, you feel compelled to say, no more, lest I die. No dying. So there was a remarkable widespread passion for singing. This is another notable thing. One person described it this way. The fact is, unless heard, it is unimaginable. And when heard, it is indescribable. Wow. Maybe some angels joined in with their worship. There's been times here in this church where we've had intense encounters with God. And people, different people have said, I heard this instrument and we didn't have it on the stage. I've heard these voices and harmonies that were not of people's lips and singing that I believe angelic hosts came in and were worshiping the Lord with us. Amen. There was no hymn book. Anybody started the singing, um, and very rarely did it happen that the hymn started and was... It rarely happened that it was out of harmony <laughs> or out of the mood of that moment. Often, while many were praying, others broke into quiet song. Oh, send the Holy Spirit, Lord. Send the Holy Spirit. Amen. Another feature was the overwhelming sense of God's presence. One pastor said, if one were to ask to describe in a word the outstanding feature of those days, one would unhesitantly reply, that it was a universal, inescapable sense of the presence of God. The Lord had come down. A sense of the Lord's presence was everywhere. It pervaded, nay, uh, it created the spiritual atmosphere. I know I've been in times of prayer with people, and I'm feeling the Holy Spirit's presence so strong, and Ryan feeling it, and then some people around are like, mm, I don't feel anything. Praise God. I believe when that revival hits in its fullness, we're all going to know. We're all going to feel just like they described in some of these encounters in the past and revivals in our history that um, everyone is going to feel that presence of God. Amen. We've even prayed people driving by are going to feel and sense the Holy Spirit. They're going to be drawn in just by driving by. Actually, we had a lady, a healing service or two ago, community worship night, and she's like, I don't know, just every time I drive by, I just have this drawing to come in there. So I'm here today. I'm like, well, praise God. <laughs> so he's on the move. Here's another quote that someone shared. Eternal issues were discussed freely and unashamedly, and above all, a sense of the presence and holiness of God pervaded every area of human experience. At home, the workshops, and public houses, eternity seemed inescapably near and real. Wow, so they're talking about it outside the church walls. Hmm. 
Um, there were prolonged meetings of prayer and praise. One newsletter, newspaper excuse me, reporter who attended wrote this. The scene was almost indescribable. Tier upon tier of men and women filled every inch of space. Those who could not gain admittance stood outside and listened at the doors. Now that's some hungry hearts. Ooh. Others rushed to the windows. There were almost every word, where almost every word, excuse me, was audible. When at seven o'clock the service began, 2,000 people must have been present. The enthusiasm was unbounded. Women sang and shouted till the perspiration ran down their faces. Ooh, there's a picture. And men jumped up uh, one after the other to testify. Amen. At 10 o'clock, the meeting had lost none of its uh, ardor. Prayer after prayer went up from these Welch hearts with almost dreary persistence. Time and again, the four ministers who stood in the pulpit attempted to start a hymn, but it was all in vain. Revival had taken hold of the people, and even Mr. Roberts could not hold it in check. His latest convert was a policeman who, after complaining that people had gone mad after religion so that there was nothing to do, uh, went to see for himself. Ah, I bless you in Jesus' name. <laughs> I wonder how long he was standing there. Extra blessing for standing there. Ah, I did a Randy Clark on and on. <laughs> Ooh, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit on that. Hmm. Whoa. Ooh. That's good. All right. Stirring. So there was nothing to do but to go see for himself and bursting into tears, confessed the error of his ways and repented. At one rugby match, a pastor said he heard only one man cursing and thereupon repented. I've heard a lot of things at a lot of games around here. <laughs> so it must have been a thing back then. Only one was heard and then he repented, praise God. Of the 40,000 present, 10,000 began singing hymns. Woo. Relationships were healed and marriages restored. So this last description of the revival perhaps sums it up the best. It was plainly evident now to everybody that God had answered the agonizing prayers of his people and had sent a mighty spiritual upheaval. A sense of the Lord's presence was everywhere. His presence was felt in the homes, on the streets in the mines, factories, and schools, even in the drinking saloons. So great was his presence that even the places of amusement and carousal became places of holy awe. There's no place too sinful for God to invade. 
you know, there's so many things, even in our little local area, that's burdening my heart. Because the leadership is so liberal and corrupt. And they're trying to corrupt even the children. And um, a move of God can change it just like that. We need to be crying out for the move of God to hit. Yes. Let it start here, God. Let there be places of holy awe here, God. Excuse me. Many were um, the instances of men entering taverns, ordering drinks, and then turning their heels and leaving them untouched. How cool. Um, Wales up to this time had been in the grip of football fever when tens of thousands of working class men throughout or thought, excuse me, and talked only of one thing. They gambled also on the result of the games. Now the famous football players themselves got converted and joined the open air street meetings to testify what glorious things the Lord had done for them. Many of the teams were disbanded as the players got converted and the stadiums were empty. What? Sports was not even a big deal. Hmm. Sports is fun. But there was such a move of God. <laughs> They're like, whatever. Let's go to church. Ha. Let's go pray. Let's sing some worship to the Lord God. Amen. Woo. On that Christmas Sunday in 1904, G. Campbell Morgan closed his sermon by saying this, let no man hear of what happened in Wales and try to start it in his own land. Why? Because no man started it in Wales. <laughs> Giving God all the glory. We cannot produce revival, but we can only pray that God would be so gracious to us and send it in abundance. Amen. God, send it in abundance, we pray. Be the starter, God, and we want to partner with you. Evan Roberts said, I believe the world is upon the threshold of a great religious revival, and I pray that I may be allowed to help bring this about. I beseech all those who confess Christ to ask him today upon their knees, if he has not some work for them to do now. He will lead them all as he has led us. He will make them pillars of smoke by day and pillars of fire by night to guide all men to him. Amen. Ask him today, what should I be doing, God? Partner with him in what he shares. And let's get on our knees and contend for the revival of our land. Amen. He wants to do it, and he's going to do it. He's looking for a willing place to say, yes, God, here I am, use me. Yes, God, here I am. I don't care what it looks like. Yes, God, I say yes to your will and to your way. Amen? I said amen. Are you too scared to say amen this morning? <laughs> you can talk to God about that too. But... If you look at the Bible, 
and look at church history. Like Ryan said, if we don't say yes, we're going to miss out. And it's going to be fun because, um, like, salvation's this beautiful picture, but the extra colors and awesome things come in, the extra definition and artwork, if you will, when we get the more of Jesus. And we get to color it in with him. Color your world, Jesus style. Let's partner and see what you are going to do, God, on this earth. I want to partner with you and see your kingdom come. Your will be done. Amen. I need some more time. That's okay, guys. Um, I just do. And you do, too. We need this more than we need our fellowship meal, more than we need a football game or anything else. We need God to move in our area. It has to matter to us. If it doesn't matter to us, why would it matter to someone else who doesn't even know Jesus? It has to matter. We have to matter to the point we change our schedules, our time. We get together to pray and fast and believe God for things to shift in our school system. The, the, the general superintendent is not the one in charge. The governor is not in charge. The president is not in charge. Praise God. Jesus is in charge. Amen. And we need to get on our knees and pray and believe God for things to shift and change. Amen. Amen. Let's talk about the Azusa Street Revival. Um, started by a man, William Seymour, in downtown Los Angeles. One of the things that stands out to me in these four revivals is they happen in places called, like, the, what do you say, the Satan's dwelling place or something like that. Dark, dark places. Now, in Los Angeles, is not really known even today for great things of God, but that's just where God wants to show up. Yeah. Where we think He could possibly do something there. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You going to double dog dare him? <laughs> he will. So, in the beginning of Azusa, it says we had no musical instruments. In fact, we felt no need for them. There was no place for them in our worship. All was spontaneous. We did not even sing from hymnals. All the old, well-known hymns were sung from memory, quickened by Holy Spirit. The Comforter has come was possibly the one most sung. We sang it with a fresh, powerful heart experience. Oh, how the power of God filled and thrilled us. The songs of Christ's blood were also very popular. Making sure anyone's standing, okay. Brother Seymour generally sat behind two empty boxes, one on top of the other. He usually kept, uh, kept his head inside the top box during the meeting in prayer. He literally had an apple crate box on top of his head while praying in the meeting, asking God what he wanted him to do. Talk about humility. Sometimes he would do this for 10 minutes. Sometimes the box was on his head for over an hour. He wouldn't address the people until God said, say this, do this, do this. Humility, obedience. It's not about us. It's about God. Amen? It's about God. Um, at times, he would go to certain sections of wheelchairs or to certain sections of cots. The cots were for people who had been carried in from the hospital. They had, they, uh, to their astonishment, Seymour would point to them and say, everyone on cots or wheelchairs, you're healed in Jesus' name. Everyone on cots and wheelchairs would get up and walk around fully healed of whatever malady they suffered from. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. 
Amen. Everyone, I bless you in Jesus' name. Everyone, every, no matter what sickness they had, they were dying, being carried in by, on a cot. It didn't matter. I bless you in Jesus' name. They were healed instantly as he had his head in the, in the apple crate for an hour, 10 minutes, whatever it was that day. He hears from the Lord. He speaks what he hears, and boom, everything happens. Yes. Amen. That's awesome. The fire department had was called on several occasions. People passing by saw the flames of fire leaping from the roof of the building. Some of the greatest miracles happened when the flame was above the building. So people, that non, unsaved people, are seeing in the spirit. Yeah. Unsaved people have spiritual gifts. I bless you in Jesus' name. They have spiritual gifts that need to be unlocked. We can teach them how to walk in those things. They're seeing the building on fire, but it's not being consumed. And the power of God's moving, and people are getting saved, healed, and delivered. Imagine people drive by and say, oh my gosh, we got to stop Plumtree Churches on fire. <laughs> yeah, praise God, it happened multiple times. Sometimes from blocks away, this is in my notes, from blocks away, they get off the subway or off their transportation they had back then. They get off and they, they get within a block or two of the meeting and boom, they'd fall out under the Spirit of God. They weren't even Christians. They weren't even going to church. They just like, boom, the power of God hit them. Then boom, one time there was a pile of people like at a football game, piled up and it's like, walk back a certain spot, boom. It was just the power of God hit them. Why? I don't know why. God's God. He can do what he wants. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I don't know, it was an angel there. I don't know what's going on, but something was amazing happening. On one occasion, Seymour had approached a man with a wooden leg and asked, What did you come here for? The man replied, I want you to pray for my leg. It is starting to get gangrene where the wood leg attaches. Seymour replied, I'm just upset because you have the wooden leg on. It would be challenging for God to grow out your leg with the wooden leg still attached. The man removed the wooden leg and stood before Seymour, standing on one good leg. Seymour uh, laid hands on the man and proclaimed, Let thy name be glorified. In the name of Jesus, I command this leg to grow out. The gangrene gone, you are healed. Seymour didn't preach that night. The miracle preached for itself. The guy's leg from the knee down. Bones, skin, blood, toenails, leg hair maybe. I don't know. It all grew out instantly. Do it again, God. Amen. Bless you in Jesus' name. Our God rules and reigns. He is El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. Amen. As we proclaim his name, I believe we'll see these things even more. On another occasion, Seymour spoke with a man who had lost his arm 10 years earlier through a work-related accident. The arm had been totally severed at the shoulder. Brother Seymour asked the crowd, would you like to see God have a wonderful time here tonight? Seymour then asked the one-armed man, can you work with just one arm? I'm just, I'm just giving minimal paying jobs. I barely have enough money to eat and feed my family. Seymour took, uh, shook his head, responded, that's not good. Are you married? Yes. Got kids? Yes. This man, this man needs to be able to work and make a living to feed his family. Uh, he said, if God heals you, will you pay your tithe? <laughs> That's what he asked him. And he, then he says, he says, yes. He goes, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But anyway, Bert, Seymour burst out laughing. I'm just having fun. He slapped his hand on the shoulder itself and commanded the arm to grow out. Almost instantly, it grew out. The healed man stood in total shock, then started moving his arm and, uh, and the feeling of it in, and in the other hand, on the, with the other hand in awe and, of the miracle. Just boom, just boom, from the shoulder down, a logging accident, crushed his shoulder, broke it off, 
and the whole thing just grew right out in front of everybody. Who's God? Hey, man. I mean, who's God? I mean, that's just awesome. A few weeks later, this man came back, bringing 200 of his friends with him. I think he got his old job back. Telling him many, the meaning what he, yeah, he says he got his old job back. Many of them brought with him and needed healing, and they left that evening totally restored. And the people in the crowds prayed and laid hands on them. From there went out um, so many moves of God from Azusa Street Revival, so many church plants from there, denominations, assemblies of God, church of God, church of God in Christ, a lot of Pentecostal churches and other ones all came out of this Azusa Street Revival as well as the Welsh Revivals and things like that. This is part of our church history. And I think this world right now is primed for another move of God. And I tell you what, I don't want to read about it in newspapers. I don't even want to doing it. They're writing about I want them to be writing about what we're doing, what we're seeing God, not word, what we're doing with God, what we're seeing God do and in, in books and journals and church history of this world last another 100 years, 200 years, or 20 years, whatever it is. I want them to write about us. Amen? That we're doing these things because we believe God, trust, and stand on his word. Amen? Amen. I, gotta, I, gotta, I need some more time. I hope you guys are good because uh, I'm going to share uh, three dreams with you because um, these all connect with these, these, these four revival stories connect with these three dreams. And these are shared by Dutch Sheets. And the girl had this gene, dreams. Her name was Gina Golston. On January 14th, 2020, I dreamed I was in the Red River Meeting House in Kentucky. That's the first one we talked about. It is known as the birthplace of the Second Great Awakening and the first ever camp meeting was held there. I had gone through the gate at the Red River Meeting House and started walking up the driveway towards the meeting house when I noticed a hundred bald eagles on the ground. I was captivated by the sight of so many eagles. Hearing a noise behind me, I turned and saw an, uh, an older uh, well drilling rig coming through the gate towards the meeting house. It stopped about halfway up the driveway and parked under the walnut trees, and it began drilling. No sooner had the bit... Uh, set and whoosh the water gushed out of the very high massive amounts i thought this looks like old faithful i have seen old faithful and this reminded me of that famous geyser only it was much larger in a dream i thought about how old faithful is very predictable and erupts in a rhythm of time then i heard an audible voice speaking about this geyser it is set on the rhythm of heaven's time clock and it's time in the dream, I understood that to mean it's blown before, a gushing move of the Spirit of God, but it's set for another great gusher, and it's time. Wow. Amen. I hope your spirit's getting stirred up as mine. I really do. Okay. Next, I saw two hands come down and clap, clap uh, one, one time. It was a very loud sound, which was a signal to the angels. They were, uh, they were scared by the noise of the clap or by the spring, and the spraying of the water. They calmly rose up, hovering like a helicopter ready to fly. As they rose, I saw each eagle had three arrows, one in their, one in their talons, and rolled up, in a, uh, rolled up a paper in the other. Uh, then I heard the, the, uh, the same audible voice say, rapid eye movement. My seers are on the move. That's the name for prophets. Rapid eye movements. My seers are on the move. As soon as I heard those, you guys can pray for dreams like this too, just so you know. It's a pretty amazing dream, right? As soon as I heard those words, the eagles flew off in every direction, each heading purpose purposefully towards their assignment. 
As they left, each one flew towards the supernatural water, becoming drenched. Incredibly, their feathers never dried as they flew. Wherever they traveled, the water would fall off them like a rain shower onto the dry ground where they flew. Back at the Red River Meeting House, the water continued uh, gushing, and I also became soaked with it. I went into the meeting house, which I realized I had been set up uh, to be a command center. There were seven drafting tables with architects sitting at them, drawing up blueprints, plans, strategies, revelations. People were coming in one after the other, soaked with the water from the geyser. They would approach one of the architects who would roll up a set of plans and hand it to them. Immediately, the architect had an, uh, another one drawn up and would hand it off to the next soaked person walking in. It was amazing how the speed which these architects worked would draw up, roll up the plans, hand it off, draw it again, roll it up, hand off the plans, and this sequence never stopped. When the people received their blueprints, they were supernaturally transported to their assignments in America and around the world. And just uh, as uh, just as occurred with the angels, the revival water soaked them was being, being flung onto the people everywhere they went. I heard the audible voice again say, rapid response teams. Then I noticed a sign on the wall behind the pulpit that read, rapid response command center. And suddenly the dream shifted and I knew by the spirit that what was happening at Red River Meeting House was also taking place at Cane Ridge, Kentucky in Azusa Street in California. These are the ones we read about just a minute ago. I was then lifted up and could, could uh, see a line coming north and south connecting Cane Ridge, the Red River Meeting House. Another line from each of them went west to Azusa. I could see that these lines formed the shape of a spearhead. From the line drawn between Cane Ridge and Red River Meeting House was yet another coming from the nation of Wales that exit, uh, to the east to forming the shaft of the spear. Those four revivals just mentioned about a spear and a shaft was going backwards to them. This picture was depicting that all four of those places, Wales, Cane Ridge, Red River, Meeting House, and Azusa, were all connected. And also that what I saw happening at Red River was simultaneously happening at all of them. I was being shown that all of these past moves of God were now become, being brought together to spearhead another great and more powerful move of God in our time. And that was the end of the first dream. They're not all that long, in case you're concerned about the time. Um, but I have a couple more to share with you, because they all connect. God is about to mix past revivals with a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit. The four outpourings mentioned in the dream were tremendous demonstrations of his love and power. The revival at Red River Meeting House led to the Cane Ridge Revival, which birthed the Second Great Awakening and saved America in the midst of the 1800s. The Welsh and the Azusa Street Revivals rocked entire nations and eventually influenced the whole world, continuing to do so even to this day. And all the wells are about to reopen and spread across the nation and the nations. Amen. 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 Dream 2. This happened February 2nd, 2021. Same lady. I dreamed I was standing with someone I did not know on a deck-like structure in the heavens. From this place, we were looking down, observing the United States of America. Though I did not know who the man was, I, I could feel a strong anointing coming from him. This anointing, this anointing was causing me to have an indescribable hope for the nation. And I pray that we'll have that too, amen? An indescribable hope for the nation. Just one moment here. 
I'm going to finish this no matter what. So you can mess with my iPad, devil, if you want to. But I'm going back and find it. All right. Just one moment. All right, I got it. As we were looking down, we saw the first uh, appeared to be warplanes flying over the United States. The gentleman said to me, oh my, I wonder what is happening in America. What will all these warplanes mean, he said. He said this not with concern, but almost as though he was wanting me to see something that wasn't obvious. He looked at me as if I should know the right answer to the question. I did know the answer to this one. Those are not warplanes, those are eagles. I replied, I have seen them before in another dream. There are a hundred of them, and they're carrying water from the, from the reopened well of revival at the Red River Meeting House. The well has been unlocked and is now gushing forth uh, into the nation. I could clearly see that just as the previous stream, the eagles were carrying uh, arrows in one of their talons and a rolled up piece of paper in the other. Also, they were set... They were still wet and dripping water from the geyser that drenched them at the Red River Meeting House. As the eagles flew throughout America, they all simultaneously began diving. When nearing their, the ground, they leveled off and began dropping their arrows onto the land. I, I knew there were 100 eagles, each carrying three arrows. Therefore, 300 arrows were released throughout America. As, um, as each arrow hit the ground, it ignited as though it had hit a gas pocket. A spiral plume of fire shot up. We watched as the water the eagles were releasing was also igniting the fire. The revival water from Red River Meeting House was extremely flammable and instantly caught on fire. It seemed as though all of America was on fire, the fire of revival. I didn't write this stuff. I remember God spoke to me twice. Revival, fire, now. Okay? As the dream continued, I was very aware of the power and presence of God. It was so strong, I fell on my knees and began to sob uncontrollably. The gentleman with me began speaking under an incredible heavy anointing. It was then I noticed he had a very strong accent. He said, you have seen correctly. This is how America will, will be saved. Do not doubt it. There is coming a sweeping move of the Spirit of God that will ignite America with the fire of his presence. This will bring a swift, undeniable awareness of God and an awakening. What seems to be one thing is about to be revealed as another, he continued. Some of the fear because of how things appear, but others see how holy and with holy awe and expectation. The eagles are on assignment. They carry firepower. They carry his glory. At precisely the right moment, their arrows will be released, will hit their targets, and move. And the move of God will ignite the spread very quickly. Then he said to me, do not doubt it, uh, it will happen. Still on my knees, knees, I looked up at the man and suddenly knew he was Duncan Campbell, one of the leaders of the great Hebrides revival. And that was the end of the dream. We didn't mention that revival. That one happened in Scotland, which is another awesome move of God. And then here's the last part. Oh, wait, Dutch said this. Approximately two months later, after this dream, I was given a gift of 300 arrowheads. Found all over a several-year span by a pastor while praying in the fields of North Carolina. 
This was a, a priceless gift to me, representing several years of, and hundreds of hours of intercession, as well as the Native American people whom I love. I knew they had been, uh, they'd been entrusted to me by the Lord, not as souvenirs to keep, but as items he would one day use. I also felt they were somehow connected to the 300 arrowheads in Gina's two dreams. I have waited two years knowing Holy Spirit would reveal the connection, the timing, and the assignment. Three months ago, I uh, was sent another dream by my friend Clay Nash. In this dream, several leaders and I were given supernatural bows and arrows with which to, to defeat spiritual enemies. These spirit, supernatural arrows had no arrowheads. One of the group asked, shouldn't the, the arrow, arrows have arrowheads? This is in the dream, he's saying this. The man given as the weapon put his hand on my shoulder and said, Dutch, it was for such a time as this that you are to distribute the back to the future arrows. As I looked at him questioning, he added, the 300 arrows that were sent to you. This angel, or the, the dream, mentioned the 300 arrowheads and called them back to the future uh, which is kind of a fun movie, but anyway, back to the future arrowheads. It was incredible to me that the arrowheads were uh, referred to in my dream, and also that they were referenced in this way, back to the future arrowheads. As I sought the Lord, he gave me specific instructions. This past Sunday, this is uh, August 20th of this year, a small team and I took 300 arrowheads to Cape Henry, Virginia, the place of America's defining covenant with God. We also took a precious bottle of oil, prayed over by hundreds of intercessors and leaders in Alaska, and many of them Native Americans, dedicating to the Lord's purposes for this nation. They decreed Isaiah 60:18 over this oil. Violence will not be heard again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders, but you will call your wall salvation and your gates praise. Together we prayed and asked the Lord to reconnect America to the covenant of Cape Henry. Amen. In 1607, this is the Cape Henry, just really briefly, Cape Henry, what they did. The uh, expedition led by Pastor Robert Hunt arrived in Virginia Beach. When they arrived in Virginia, the expedition uh, dedicated our country to the glory of God. They planted a rough-hewn wooden cross, which they brought from England, and in the sand they prayed. This is their prayer for America in the 1600s. We do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations after us. With these generations, take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains. And may this land among which England uh, be an evangelist to the world, along with England, be evangelist to the world. May all who see this cross remember that we have, we have done what we have done here. May those who come here to in inhabit join us in this covenant and, and in this most noble work with the Holy Scriptures to be fulfilled. 1607, I think it said. Representatives from all 50 states joined via conference to listen and agree and pray together. The next morning on August 21st, just, uh, just a short time ago, we took the 300 arrowheads to Red River Meeting House and prayed over them again, uh, saturating them with the anointing, the revival water, and from there, just as the dream showed, representatives from all over the states listened in to this also. Today, this is August 22nd, we are overwhelmed Six of the arrowheads uh, to the representative. We took. We are overriding six of the arrowheads to the representatives from each state. 
All 300 will be delivered tomorrow. Leaders in each state will hear from the Holy Spirit where and how to plant them in their state along with the, de- the declarations and prayers they feel to make. So during, uh, during September, this will be done by September. Each state that will be uh, anchored to the Cape Henry Covenant, but also saturated in the uh, waters of revival from the, from the first revival mentioned. It says, America, America will be saved. Do not doubt it. Amen. Amen. A lot of this other stuff going on, we've seen it. Bless you in Jesus' name. Smoke and mirrors, distraction for what God wants to do. When this breaks out, the arrows hit, and the gravel water gushes and flows. It isn't going to matter what anybody tries to do, what the news tries to do. No one's going to care. They're going to like, this is God. We're going to go after God. Amen. One last dream. This one's short. The same lady, Gina Golston. If you remember, in her first dream, she saw lines connecting four revival locations, which formed the shape of a spear. Red River Meeting House, Cane Ridge Meeting House, um, Azusa Street Revival, and the Welsh Revival. She said, as I looked at this, the spearhead instantly lit on fire. What that, uh, when that happened, the entire spear began to spin clockwise. The spinning was uh, slow at first, but gained speed with each spin, going faster and faster. As it was spinning, it began to tilt upward, uh, still spinning, until it stood, stopped standing vertically. The spearhead was blazing with fire. Once the spear stood vertical, it was lifted up and thrust forcefully back down onto the ground into the center of the USA. When the spearhead went into the ground, it created swells after swells of what I first thought were waves of water. It was not water, however. It was people. These people were burning with the fire of revival, wave after wave of them moving outward in all directions from that standing spear. This is coming. Do not doubt it. And I tell you what, I want to be part of the tip of that sphere and part of that sphere. I want us to be part of that sphere of the fire of God moving, touching our region, this area, and as far as God will take us. Amen. We need the fire of God. So if you guys will stand, Holly, come back up here, please. We're going to pray for you. We do have the fellowship meal today. It's food's back there. We'll get to it. We've all eaten before. Amen. We know what it tastes like. It's going to be all right. But revival... I don't know if we really know what it tastes like. I don't really know if we know what it tastes like. We've read about it. We've probably all experienced some things here and there in our lifetime. But what if? What if really now is the time? Like right now. All these things saying the same thing from different prophets and people all around the country and around the world. Right now. That God wants to birth something in the earth right now. Releasing these 300 arrowheads, symbolic of people and, and movements and generations, all those kind of things. But right now, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Yes. He wants to use us. Yes. And we need to be like Isaiah said, hear my send me. Yes. Amen. How would you pray? God, we praise you. Thank you that we can look back on our rich church history, God, and see your mighty hand of revival power, God. God, we say yes to what you're doing in this time, this season, this hour, God. 
Let our hearts be ripe to receive that piercing from heaven, that revival fire, those arrowheads coming down on this land, God. We say, let our hearts be ready. We just come against anything in the atmosphere that would try to avert those arrows from heaven. We say, open now, heavens. Open now in Jesus' name. Like we sung this morning, spring up, oh well. God, let it spring up in us, around us, God, and let us be witnesses to the ends of the earth. <laughs> I just, I hear him saying, get your running shoes on and lace them up good. Because he is ready to pour out and we need to be ready to run with what he is pouring out. So get on those running shoes, lace them up in the spirit in Jesus' name, and say, I am ready, God. I am ready. Whoa. Revival fire now, in Jesus' name. Revival fire now. I release that. Revival fire now. It's in your spirit. Remember, we had that whole teaching on spirit, soul, and body. It's in your spirit. Release you right now. Are you reading right now? Revival fire now. Release. 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 Revival fire. All of us. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, God. More, God. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. I pray, God, for a burden for us to pray, to intercede, to pray, and believe you, God what you want to do for lost souls for revival true revival in this country in this globe they're your children you love them revival fire now in jesus name this mark this date october 1st 2023 revival fire i want you to pray that too revival fire yeah, revival fire now in Jesus' name. Yes, God, fan the flame of that fire now. Revival fire now. Woo! In Jesus' name. Woo! Yes, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whoa. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yes. Shoo. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Woo. Hallelujah. Ooh, more, Lord. More, Lord. An increase of revival fire now. Now, God. Now. We're ready now, God. Revival fire now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ooh. Hallelujah. Ooh. Hallelujah. <laughs> Whoa. Hallelujah. Whoa. Yes, God. Yes. Whoa. 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 God, I thank you for encounters this week, God, as we bring this revival fire home, as we bring this revival fire to the workplace, as we bring this fire, God, let people encounter your love your change, 
your wooing, God, your conviction, God, where there needs to be conviction, God, bring it, I pray. Bring it, I pray. Prepare the hearts, God. Whoa, for revival fire. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Thank you, God. Oh, Lord, send the fire right now. Oh, Lord, send the fire right now. Oh, Lord, send the fire right now and baptize everyone. And baptize everyone. The Holy Spirit in fire. mentioning how the revival first started at the um, Cane River. They prayed one Monday a month. They prayed Saturday night. They prayed Sunday morning. That's not a huge amount to ask. One Monday a month. And then every Saturday night, every Sunday morning for the pastor, for the service and stuff like that. But they did it for two years. And then one Sunday morning, after two years of prayer, all of a sudden, boom, something happened. God, I pray you'd make us a people of prayer. Teach us how to pray. And how to pray for other people. We spend more time praying for others than we pray for ourselves, God. We'd spend more time praying for other people's families than our own. Jesus. And I feel the Holy Spirit on that. You'd help us, God, to pray more for other people's families than our own. Yes. Not only for our own interests, but the interests of others. And I pray, God, that we would believe you for the vilest sinner in our county, in this region, whatever their title may be, whatever recognition they have for being hard-hearted or whatever, that they'd come to salvation. They'd come to you, Jesus. The toughest case in our minds is nothing to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. 